Good morning, everybody. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name is David, and I am honored and blessed to be the pastor here at Redeemer. And, uh, and I'd like to welcome anyone that is new here today. Uh, we are especially glad you made it on this, our last Sunday in this space, which we are very excited about. And for those who are not new, uh, I want to say glad that I am back. Many of you guys know that um, I was gone last week with my wife, Shannon. Uh, we were incredibly privileged to go visit uh, Scotland and Ireland last week, and we got to do that because I am part of a continuing development, a cohort of young pastors who, through the Lilly Endowment, are able to do like a five-year study program, and once in those five years, we get to do an international trip, and this one just happened to hit uh, right in the thick of renovations at, uh, at, at our church, which uh, left us with a dilemma but was solved by the issue that um, we were also decided to celebrate. It's our 10th anniversary this year, so Shannon came with me on that trip, and uh, we couldn't get a refund. So that was kind of forced our hand on that issue, and, uh, and we, we had a great time. Um, especially interesting place to go for someone who has some very visible genetic relationships to uh, to Ireland, right? I have a great, uh, I've got a grandmother who is Irish Catholic, and when I got there and got out of the heat, the burning heat of the Texas sun, sun my pasty white skin relaxed, and, and the red hair on top of my head stood up and said, I'm home, right? <laughs> There's other people like me here. Uh, but it, it, was, it, was a, it was a great trip. It was wonderful to get away with Shannon. And um, I just want to say thank you to, to James McKendry for, for preaching. He always does such a great job um, when he's in the pulpit. And I also want to say thank you to our staff. You know, every single one of our staff people is part-time, and they have been working tirelessly to make the things happen that need to happen for us to get back into our space. And they're, they're just wonderful. We just have such a, a, a great staff here. And we've got such a great community of people. I just, there, there are so many people who have been there night after night, day after day, giving up their own free time to, to try to make this happen. And, um, and it's going to happen. Next week, we will be back in our space, fully completed or not, we will be back there, and I think it's going to be pretty close to fully done. So uh, I'm really excited about that. Um, we are three weeks, <clears throat> as Mary Lee said, from our first birthday, which is, which is a huge milestone when you think about everything that has happened this last year. Oh my gosh, did we have a wild ride in the first year uh, of, of Redeemer. And, uh, and we get to celebrate that milestone in, in those in, in three weeks and leading up to that that time, I, I kind of in reflection thought it would be really good to to kind of remember why we started everything that we did in, in the first place. Like like these next few weeks, what what are we about? What is God doing? What is He calling this community to be? And that's kind of what I want to talk about next week. Like what are some things that, that we can learn when we look at the early church in their first year of life? as we remember who God's calling us to be in our first year. And then today, uh, I want to think about how we fit into that. What is the thing in, a, in our first year of following Jesus that, that, that's so critical? As a, and for many of us, it's not our first individual year, but, 
But as we continue to follow Jesus and, and do it in a new way here, what are things that we need to remember that enable God to tell that story of redemption that we care so much about in each and every one of our lives? And that, that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to call these next two weeks the first year following Jesus. And we're going to look at a passage this morning from Luke, which has been one of the most understanding it has really been one of the most transformative things in my life, and I hope that it will be in yours as well. Before we read it, let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you this morning thankful for a seventh-day rest, um, a first-day start to a new week to just come and, and quiet our hearts and our minds and actively be before you. To, to open up our, our hearts, to allow you to speak into our mind and thoughts and let you have your way in our lives. Would you do that right here and right now as we open up your word? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, uh, today's scripture comes from Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 24. If you've got a Bible or a Bible on your phone, I encourage you to, um, to, to, to follow along. It's also on the screens. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and still others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. So I once heard um, uh, a leader who I have really grown to respect and, and learned a lot of things from say something that immediately rang, rang true for me. And, and it was this. You can do a lot less in a day than you want, but you can do more in a year than you ever imagined. You can do a lot less in a day than you want, but you can do more in a year than you ever imagined. Does that ring true for anyone else? <laughs> Especially the first part, you can do a lot less in a day than you want. Just the other day, uh, one of the days before we left for Scotland, I had a to-do list like many of us do for the day, and these were some fairly critical things that needed to happen. There were four conversations that needed to play, take place. There was uh, four emails related that I needed to get out and respond and, and work through some things. And then there was half of a sermon to the end of a rough draft of a message that I needed to preach uh, the next day uh, that, that I was hoping to get done and then get back home for dinner. And at the end of that day, I was able to have one conversation. I got out one email 
I had zero time to write the message because <laughs> of other things that had come up, and I wasn't going to make it home in time for dinner. And, uh, and, and it wasn't a day where I did what I wanted or anything even close. And I, uh, I imagine that many of you guys have had many of those days, especially probably very recently, right? Uh, that was yesterday. That was all of last week, right? You can do less in a day than oftentimes you really want to get done. But how about a year when you set like a long-term goal? I was thinking back to the time when um, Shannon and I had moved to Ukraine as missionaries and started to learn Ukrainian language, right? And we got there, and uh, I couldn't even read the signs that were on the stores, the, the, the street signs. There was nothing. It's a different alphabet. I knew absolutely nothing, and I had goals to, to learn that alphabet quickly and to move on to vocabulary. And, uh, and, and what my experience was is that that was the slowest language learning process uh, that, that, that I, could, I, I, I had never drunk coffee before in my life. I started drinking coffee when we started learning Ukrainian language. Uh, we started learning by, you know those kids' books that you started with, with the dotted lines where you traced it? That was what we did as adults to start learning Ukrainian language at the university, and, and it was just unbelievable how little and slow that process was. It was... Uh, eight months before I was able to speak a single sentence with conjugated verbs uh, with fair, decent correctness, and I spoke it like this, right? <laughs> but I'll tell you what, after those day-by-day those -day sludges and trudges, after a single year, I actually was able to understand a fair bit of what was being said. I could carry on a conversation, right? And and zaras right? And you understood all that, right? Uh, I mean, it, it, it's this lesson that, that that while we may struggle in the day to day, that, that there's this regular, consistent, constant effort in the same direction that can make such a big difference over the long haul. That is a really, really important lesson for us to just know in life. And it is a really, really important lesson that, that, that I want you to remember this morning. Because if we just can decide to put one foot in front of the other, day by day, while that, that step may be hard, there's this incredible distance that we can cover. And, and so many people who have found success ha ha have found that to be true. I'm reminded of a Canadian rapper who calls himself a male duck, who said, uh, we started from the bottom, now we're here, right? Did anybody know Drake? He's who does that? that? He's the one that comes to mind right now. And, and, and that's what he's at. And, and the reason that comes to mind is because uh, I heard a story about another uh, a father who was teaching his kids to pray, and, um, and he, he had taught his son, uh, you know, the Lord's Prayer and to be thankful, and so they sat down, and, uh, and he said, okay, son, I want you to pray tonight, so they bowed their heads, 
closed their eyes, and his son said, God, our Father who is in heaven, we started from the bottom, now we're here. <laughs> he had gotten it. And, and, and the thing that I love about that is the kid's right, and he's right in that context, right? This isn't just a lesson for, uh, for life. This is a lesson, actually, that, that's true in life because it's true in our spiritual life. This is part of how God has made the world and the way that he, he urges us to live in it. it there, there's a biblical truth to this. And, and when we make this same commitment to, over the long haul, put a foot in front of the other and following Jesus, sometimes the day-by-day challenges are going to be tough, but what we can experience in the course of a year of two years, of three years, is incredible transformation in, in, in God making us a new person. And, and, and it's all because we're willing to, 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 to do something and follow Jesus every day. And this is where the passage that we read this morning really comes into play and what I want us to capture this morning. Okay, Luke 9, we're, we're in kind of the centerpiece of the gospel. And actually, it's interesting at this point in the narrative of the biblical story, the disciples have probably been following Jesus around a year. They're probably not far from the one-year mark. And, uh, and it was probably a year ago that Jesus came up to these guys along a seaside trying to fix and deal with their fishing nets and said, follow me. And these guys put down their nets. And every day since, they have been following Jesus. They've been learning from him. They've been being taught by him. They've been watching him do miracles. They have had about a year every day literally following Jesus. And and so here in Luke 9, uh, what happens is is actually a really big moment in the gospel. Uh, After a full day of teaching, which we see earlier in the chapter, and doing miracles, Jesus has now retreated away to a private place with these disciples. And they're sitting there. They're probably resting. They're probably taking uh, a break. And, um, and Jesus must have this thought pass through his mind. And he turns to the disciples and he asks them, he said, who do the people say that I am? Who, what are you hearing people say about me? Who do they think that I, that I am? What do they think I'm doing in this world? And so the disciples think about it, and they give some of the answers that they're hearing people say. Some say you're John the Baptist, that you are here and you're, you're leading the way for God to do some big, incredible thing. Other people think that you're more like what must be the prophet of Elijah, who's, who's coming, who we think is supposed to come back. And, and that's because we see you standing up to power and telling the truth, and you're doing miracles, just like Elijah did. So Jesus hears this, and he listens to those answers, and he says, okay. And then he makes this really interesting um, turn. He says, okay, that's what others think about me. But he says, now I want to know, who do you say that I am? That's the question that he asked the disciples. That's what they think. But, but who do you think that I am? And this is where the big moment happens. For the first time in the gospel up until this point, these disciples rightly identify who Jesus is and why he's come. Peter steps up among all of them and says, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Messiah of God. And, and, and this is a 
true statement. This is a monumental moment in the gospel because it's the first time it's ever been said. It's ever been really understood and articulated and now quietly proclaimed in a public way. Jesus is the Messiah, and this is uh, the term, the person, who all of Israel had been waiting for. And they're saying, you're this person, the one who will save our nation from Roman oppression, the one who is going to bring a new era of peace and justice, the one who is going to turn the people from their sins and turn these people's hearts back to God. That's who we think you are, Jesus. This is, this is huge because in their identification of Jesus as the Messiah, it's like the world in their minds is at a tipping point. History is about to pivot and things are about to change. And if you're like me, when they get this right, when they finally make this identification of who Jesus is, what I would be anticipating is for, is for Jesus to grab Peter by the shoulders and look him in the eyes and say, yes, Peter, you got it. You finally know who I am and what, and what I'm going to do in the world. Let's go take on some Romans, you know. Let's go make things right. And, and this isn't what happens at all. This isn't the response that, that Jesus has. We read no such thing. Instead, after this incredibly climactic moment, Jesus tells Peter to be quiet. He hushes him. He says, okay, don't tell anybody about this. Why, why does he do this? Have you ever wondered that? Because this isn't the only time in the Gospels, where Jesus hushes those who, who identify him correctly, who know who he is, that, that he is God's promised one. And, and, uh, and, and so often, I bet you wonder if you've read that before, why on earth is Jesus doing that? Two reasons. First one, briefly, Jesus is probably trying to keep out of trouble for a little while longer. That's one of the reasons I think he quiets people. The moment people start hailing Jesus as the Messiah, he's going to get into trouble, and he knows it. Because Messiah, we understand it today, is like this theological title that was important for the Jews that means something to us now as Christians. But, but we miss the fact, the implication that in Jesus' day, it was a political title. This was a, a, a politically charged thing that Jews were saying, and, and it meant something, especially to the Romans who were in charge of the, of the Jews, because the Romans would have known or had hints that there was in this Jewish folklore somebody that was going to come and throw them off. And so the Romans see the Messiah, this title, as a threat, which is why in Jesus' birth, when King Herod, the Roman ruler, hears that there's a, a king being born, a Messiah, he kills every baby in the city born around the same time. And so Jesus is saying, be quiet, not yet. He's probably not ready for what needs to happen to happen at that moment. The second reason Jesus quiets them is because the disciples don't understand how Jesus as the Messiah is going to accomplish his mission. They don't understand what the way to true power looks like. And, and this is why after Peter makes this recognition and Jesus says, be quiet, Jesus then immediately says, uh, because, and then he lists out all these things that are going to need to happen. He says, I am going to be rejected by the Jewish leaders. I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. And the disciples don't know this yet. This isn't part of their conception of who the Messiah is or what he's going to do. 
Uh, and, and Jesus needs them to understand it, that God has a different plan than the one that they have in their minds. And that plan includes making a tremendous sacrifice on his part. And it also includes, and this is where this gets very relevant, uh, a tremendous sacrifice on their part. This wasn't just a path for Jesus. This is what God was calling all Christians, anyone who chooses to follow Jesus to as well, which is why Jesus says what he says next. And the thing that I really want you to capture this morning, it's, it's for all of us who follow Jesus. Verse 23, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would come after me. So this, is, this isn't just directed at disciples. This is a statement that applies to anybody who follows Jesus, right? This is what Jesus says. He must deny himself and daily take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. A couple of things I want to capture in this statement and things that I think are really critical in a reflection on our first year following Jesus together and your personal journey of following Jesus. Here's the first. It's a simple realization. We start by believing Jesus, believing who he is, identifying him as the Messiah, but we finish the journey. We continue in the journey by following Jesus. We start by believing Jesus, we finish by following Jesus. I pulled this right out of the passage. Peter, the disciples, again, they finally get it right. They believe Jesus. They trust in him with their lives. And they make this proclamation. But then how does Jesus finish it? He says, now you've got to follow me. Now you've got to live in this way. And it, this is the pattern that's true for all of us. And it may be known by many of us, but, but we need this reminder that we begin this relationship with God in faith by believing who Jesus is, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the grave as our hope, that he's coming again in the world to make all things new. And you believe it, but that is just the beginning and it cannot end there. There is more than accepting Jesus into our lives and then just getting on with whatever we were doing before. This belief is the beginning of a transformational journey that happens throughout the course of our lives that, 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 that's, that's critical. That first step is important, but uh, it can't just be a first step. Uh, elsewhere, Jesus says, if anyone does not follow after me, they cannot be my disciple. And, and, and so I just think it's important to, to recognize there's an active participatory following of Jesus that happens uh, that, that's part of the story. Here's the second thing I want you to recognize. Following Jesus means making personal sacrifices. Following Jesus means making personal sacrifices. And, and, and that's inescapable in, in this passage. When we moved to Ukraine, um, when, when we felt like God was calling us to go there, you know, there was a lot of things that changed in our lives when, when we felt that call. A lot of things I really fought against. I really didn't want to happen. Probably the most um, was the losing of my beloved hobbies of hunting and fishing. Right? Uh, these are my favorite things to do. And... Um, <laughs> 
When you would think that you can do them anywhere, but that actually is not the case. We have incredible opportunities here in this country. And as a foreigner, it was basically impossible to do any kind of hunting in Ukraine, and there was no access. And, uh, and fishing, you would think there'd be opportunities. But in a lot of countries like Ukraine, resources are really, really badly uh, depleted. There are no fish in the lakes. There are beautiful landscapes with no animals running through the mountains and no fish swimming through the waters. And, uh, and I fished for almost five years. I caught one little carp. If you're a fisherman, you know how terrible and disappointing that is. And, uh, and, and, and when we felt called to do that, I was kind of aware of this reality. I was hopeful, but I was ignorant. Uh, and, and, and I knew that, that this was something that I was going to have to, to, in a way, give up at least part of the time. And um, I didn't like it, right? But, but it was what God was calling me to do in my life. And I had to come to terms that this was a sacrifice that I was going to make. And actually, God did incredible things in hunting and fishing ways to give me more than I can ask or imagine that I would, I'll show I'll, I'll tell you guys some stories later. Evidence is on my wall in our living room. But um, what Jesus is saying here is just really clear. For those that want to follow him, we need to expect, we need to know from the get-go that there are going to be times when we have to make personal sacrifices. And he says it two very strong ways, so you cannot miss it in this passage. Jesus begins, if anyone would follow after me, what do they have to do? What's the first thing that he says? Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Jesus doesn't say, if you want to follow after me, pack up all your bags and carry everything that you really want along with you and drag them on the journey, right? That's not what he says. No, he also doesn't say, if you want to follow me, check your schedule and make sure that you're available on the times that I want to be doing things, right? He doesn't say that. Jesus also doesn't say, uh, if you want to follow me, um, you, you are going to, you, you're going to be able to just live how you want to and add me into the, to, to the free spaces and times and extra things that you want to happen. No, no, there, there is no other way that we have a new life in Jesus than giving up the old, right? And it, it, this is the pattern when there is death, there is new life. It is because you will make sacrifice that you will see other things rise up and become alive. And sacrifice is the second way that Jesus communicates this. You deny yourself and, here's the image that he uses, take up your cross. Take up your cross. When the disciples would have heard this, they obviously wouldn't have understood it, in the same way that we understand it today, because Jesus had not died on the cross. That had not happened yet. They didn't understand the full scope of Jesus' death and, and the cross that he was going to bear. But, but let me tell you, they would have been very aware of the symbolism of the cross, because this was the way in Rome that Rome's worst offenders were, were crucified. They were killed. And so when you saw a cross, it brought shivers down your spine. It was a public execution. You knew when, when Jesus says, pick up your cross, he's saying, go on the way to your death, right? He's saying, you've got to pick up your death and, and, and die. And so it kind of makes you ask the question, is Jesus asking us to die? Right? 
in, in a way, I don't, I don't want to lessen this. He absolutely is asking us to die. But then he uses uh, an adjective that's really critical. He says, daily, pick up your cross. It's not just pick up your cross. It's pick up your cross every day. So this is something that you do every day you pick up your cross. Don't miss that because you, you, if you're going to pick up your cross and die, like you, you can only do that once, right? But, but Jesus is after something else. He's not after some big moment, oh, would I die for God? He, he's asking you to make the decision every day, 365 small ways every year to, to choose to follow him in a way where you make sacrifices and you die to yourself, and you put God ahead of your own desires. And that is a decision that we make, where we rise up out of bed, that over the long haul changes the habits and patterns, and that yields the result that Jesus promises at the end of the passage. Because in all this sacrifice and toughness of this passage, there is this promise that Jesus makes that we, we ought not to forget, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. If you try to hang on to your life, it's not going to work. You're going to lose it. You're not going to find what you wanted to. You're not going to be able to drag that luggage anyway. So let go of it. Follow me. And you're going to find yourself gaining far more than you ever could have asked or imagined. And this is that, that long, regular lesson. You can do more in a year than you ever imagined. God can do more in your life than you would ever imagine if day by day you choose to follow after him step by step by step. And this is one of the things that I just want to say. When I reflect on a year and the people who have become a part of this community and the things God has done... Um, it's, it just brings incredible joy to my life. There are so many people who have been, who, who have gotten to be a part of this, who are becoming a part of it, who are experiencing and have experienced real transformation, and, and who have said to me at six months being a part, or, or now at a year, I cannot believe how much my life has changed since being a part of this community. I've heard you all say that. You're saying, I have a real deeper, more honest relationship with God now than I have ever had before. Or I, I didn't know that I would have friendships that, that are, are, are like this, that have the depth that they do, that I would be vulnerable with these people. I, I, I have people that said, I never thought that I would have been willing to be in any kind of group and now I'm a group, and I've made, I've made good friends. Uh, I, I've heard people say, I never thought I would invite my friends to church. I never thought I would be at church regularly. <laughs> and they're doing it. And, 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 and I, I am so thankful about that because it means our mission of helping people find a greater life in Jesus, of giving up their life so they would find a better one in Christ, is happening. Right? And, and I don't want you to miss why it's happening. It's because of what Jesus says in this passage. We are choosing in large and, and small ways uh, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to live a different kind of life, and one in Jesus. And it's that regular, consistent, daily movement of following after Jesus that is yielding those results in our lives. 
And, and it's making, that's the reason why we can step back after a year and say, wow, God has done so much in our lives and in the life of this community. And so let me just leave you today with a really simple challenge. Um, as this is, this is something that, that this transforming thing is something I am so excited to see this year. I want to see continued year after year year. And it's this, what is the one thing that God is asking you to do every day to follow Jesus? What's the one thing you can do this next year that will help you put one foot in front of the other and follow Jesus and make, make a difference in your life? You know, some of you know the answer to that question the moment those words came off my lips. <laughs> you knew exactly what that one thing is that, that, that you would do that wasn't easy, that would be a sacrifice where you would have to deny yourself, but that, that would help you gain a greater life in Christ. Others of you may need to sit back and think and pray. I don't think any of us are going to have trouble finding the answer to this if we're going to be honest with ourselves. But I'm asking you the question, and, and I want you to lean into it this, this now and this next year, because God wants to do something greater in your life. God wants to do something big at, at Redeemer, and, and this is how we do it. I promise you won't regret it. And even more importantly, Jesus promises <laughs> you will find a greater life, and so I urge you to do it. Would, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the incredible ways that you push and prod and guide our lives in ways that that immediately bring joy and in ways that, that hurt and where we tug and claw and, and want nothing to do with. Um, but, but God, I, uh, I just pray that as your Holy Spirit is speaking to each one of our hearts, God, and, and you are saying, follow me in this particular way that we would, would be willing to, to hear that voice that we would be willing to, to take those steps and that every day, Lord, we would, we would get out of bed and drop our knees and offer you ourselves again and again so that you could make us new and you could make our world new. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.